Good to see you all in the house. And if those, those who may not know who I am, I'm the assistant pastor, Sonia Gross, and I welcome you to Unity Worship Center. Thank you for coming. Thank you for being here. We welcome our visitors. See a lot of faces that I don't know, so thank you for being here. Praise the Lord. Thank you for coming. Uh, pastor and First Lady are at a conference this weekend, and I uh, found out Friday afternoon that I was teaching today. <laughs> So I told him, I said, you and I, we got to get a calendar together. <laughs> He's like, I told you three weeks ago. And I was like, right, you're going to have to prove that one. <laughs> and he couldn't, of course. God love his heart. He's got so much on his mind. Uh, do we have a teacher for the children today? No? Okay. Then you all are with us today. Praise the Lord. We'll keep our kids. The teenagers, though, there is in this room down here, any teenagers, you're welcome to go there. Praise the Lord. All right. Today I want to talk to you about, we, we're celebrating today, which is traditionally what churches call Palm Sunday. And it's very appropriate, the songs that we've had today, because it's a praise and a worship. And Psalm Sunday is the one we celebrate when Jesus takes his triumphant entrance into Jerusalem. And as we know, what befalls him through a few days later doesn't, look anything like it did when he went in on the ass of a, a donkey, rode on a little donkey in humility and, and with the people that were there. There wasn't the royalty of the day that greeted him. It was the people of the Jerusalem. The, and they put their coats down and they laid the palm tree leaves down and, and they welcomed him in the fashion of royalty. Although their mindset was a little different than what God had planned. And God's plan is always, always better than what we think, isn't it? Some of my best decisions still got me into some of my worst situations. Anybody else know that? Y'all don't sit there and look like little angels. I already know. <laughs> Praise the Lord. So today, as you can see, the title is Wave Your Leaves. Wave Your Leaves. And I want to begin with what God gave me to talk to you about. And, you know, I'm a little different. Pastor would say I'm, I'm the revelation baby, he says. So what my thought process may not be a normal thought process, not that it's a wrong process, but God's revelation to me is a little different than maybe to some. So my service today for Palm Sunday will be a little different than probably what you've heard in previous Palm Sunday services. So I want to talk to you about today, about God. I want to talk to you about the beginning of who God is, not just his attributes, not just, you know, who we think he is. I want to tell you what the scripture, the word, the truth, this is how we get knowledge. If you were here early this Sunday and heard uh, Larissa's message, this is how you get knowledge by the word of God. Don't take it from me. Don't take it, you know, you know, check it. Always check it. I grew up, my father was the pastor. So it was really hard to come up under somebody else because I was always checking the facts. Are they preaching the word? Are they teaching the truth? And, you know, I'm good with that. You check it. <laughs> you check it because I'm giving you what he gave me through his words. So you'd be wise in this day and age with as much 
information that is passed through the internet to be able to double check everything because not everything you see <laughs> mama used to say not everything's like it used on tv it ain't always the truth she was telling the truth that goes for the word the world and for the religious uh aspect the kingdom but god took took me to this and i was kind of studying some of what god is what the bible said god is and the first verse he took me to was first john four and eight and it says, He that loveth not knoweth not God, for God is love. He doesn't just love. He is love. He is love. And I don't know about you, but I have been with people who I thought loved me, but they soon failed me by betrayal, by deceit. Uh, you know, not everybody is with you is for you, right? God is love. That's who he is. He loves you. For God so loved the world, he gave his only begotten son, that whosoever believeth in him shall not perish but have everlasting life. That's John three sixteen. God is love. He gave up his own. I don't know how many of y'all have children, but I'd rather you take my life than one of their I would. How many mothers? They call them. Sometimes they tag us mama bears. Uh-huh. <laughs> Mess with one of my kids. You love to see a different side of me. I love my children. I feel that way about my children here in this church. They're our babies. That's how we talk about them, me and First Lady, the baby, our babies. These are our babies. So we have to realize that God not just loves, but he is love. The next thing God showed me was God is light, 1 John 1 and 5. This, then, is the message which we have heard of him and declared unto you, that God is light, and in him is no darkness at all. He is light. He's the light to your path. God's word is your light to your path. He is light. And when you're in the darkest hours of your life, when the, all things are crashing down on you, you can't see a way. When you look up and you see that light and you know that God has stepped on the scene. Could you imagine Peter and the disciples in the boat and the storm comes up and they're perishing. Water is coming into the boat and they look up and they see Jesus walking on the water. Jesus also said, I am the light. Of the world, you know, because him and the Father are the same. Could you imagine seeing that light walking on the water in the midst of all the darkness? No wonder they were fearful. <laughs> but Peter was the only one who said, If it's you, Lord, bid me come out. How many of you in your storms want to get out of the boat and go to Jesus? <laughs> I don't know about you. I'm too busy looking at the rain and the water that's in my boat that shouldn't be in my boat. But he is the light. If we can learn that concept, that, that wonderful analogy, grasp with Jesus in the darkest times because he is light. My sister went through a terrible ordeal. We almost lost her because she almost internally bled to death. But as she was going through this, she was having visions and revelations, and Jesus showed up on the scene. And he revealed to her what was happening. 
And she said, I stood, and there he was, and all this light that shone around him. But on in the darkness, in the edges, I could hear and see the snarls and the eyes of the enemy that had come. And Jesus told her, they've come to claim your life this night, but I forbid it. The light showed up, and the darkness could not come near her. And to this day, she still lives. But the enemy had other plans. It is great when the light comes. He changes things. He makes a way when there's no way. So in your darkest hours, reach and look for the light. You'll find him in the word of God. The other name that God had given me and pastor had sent me a song earlier in the week. And it was talking about jealousy. He is jealous for me. And that's Exodus 34 and 14. And it's a surprising thing for us to think of God as jealous. Because to me, that's an emotion. But it's so much more. It says, For thou shalt worship no other God, for the Lord, whose name is Jealous, is a jealous God. He is a jealous God. They were talking about, they had making false idols, I call it spiritual adultery. They were worshiping what they had come in contact with. What they had known back in Egypt, the idols. But he is a jealous God. I got to look that word up because I was like, I need to understand that a little more. And the word in the Hebrew basically talks about a husband and a wife, a marriage, a bride. He is jealous for his wife. To be jealous for someone is something totally different to be jealous of someone. There's a positive and there's a negative. And as I was studying this, God brought to light some things in my life that he wanted me to share. And I'm going to tell you, I still don't want to do it. Because I want you to have this image of your pastor. That's beautiful, but how many of y'all had a past? I am no different. And neither anyone that takes this stage will tell you that. So I'm going to tell you two things that God explained. His jealousy. It's a jealousy because he is God. He deserves all the glory, all the praise. When you have a bride and a husband and they come forth, they want to be with each other. Usually you don't see them for a little while because they're too busy being husband and wife, making that marriage work, becoming one, as the Bible says. But let me tell you my funny stories. I'll call them funny. After my husband and I got married, and I had the best husband in the world. He was the perfect mate for me, and God gave him to me because I could not attract anything any better in my past experiences. I just won't tell you that story. But. And we were walking one day in a store, and, you know, I got married at a very young age. I was still a teenager when I got married. And so, you know, I left the home. I grew up in a very religious home, Pentecostal, my father, the pastor, so I was branching out <laughs> and doing all the things that I wasn't even allowed to do growing up. So we went into this store one day, and I had this dress on about hip to here. <laughs> Everybody got to height? It's, it's short. <laughs> and my husband, we were walking in, and there was three gentlemen coming this way. And my husband, he clocked them. He checked them. He's like, hmm. They took notice to his wife. And my husband, who didn't even like to hold my hand in, in, the, <laughs> in public when we were dating anyways, 
as they went past us, he put his arm around me, and he just didn't do that. He did that little check. Yeah. <laughs> She's mine. <laughs> that, is, that is protection and not possession. That is jealousy for you. When God is jealous for you, it's not because he wants to be exalted and high and he deserves all that. But he knows what's good for you. What's best for you. This path will not take you down any good road. Stay focused on me. I see. I'm high up. As, as Nikki said, I see the beginning and the end. I know what you're going to need. All right. So the second story is even worse. <laughs> Back in the day, we were going to the beach, and thongs had just come out, and I thought I had to have one. So I had ordered me a thong bathing suit, and we're sitting on the beach. We're laying together on the beach, you know, this way. And after so long, because I'm not, you know, I don't have dark melatonin at all, <laughs> you had to flip over. And when I flipped over, I noticed he didn't flip with me, yet he's he sit up, and he spied everything that come up and down the beach that checked out his bride. <laughs> Again, he never told me once not to wear anything. He never told me, you know, anything bad. He let me be me and let me find my way, the right way, without condemnation protection and not possession that's what he wants from you yes he wants to live in you and be in you and as a child of God you have that privilege but the Holy Spirit's not going to be demanding and tell you it's going to say this is not appropriate behavior do you remember the scripture do you remember the the text that was read do you remember what we talked about today in prayer but he's not going to keep you from going and doing but he's going to protect you Try to anyways, if you will listen to him. I'm jealous for you. Protection and not being possessive. God, no, I couldn't deal with a possessive husband. I probably would have killed him or I'd been dead one. One of us has been in jail. I'm just, I have anger issues. <laughs> and once you've lived in a very strict religious home your whole life, when you get away from home, you tend to do what you want to do when you want to do it. And I have a wise husband, which was one of the attributes I loved about him. He was wise beyond his years. He was in his early 20s when we met. But he never condemned me, not once. Never said this, that, or the other. And I remember I wore that shirt dress to a, an, an exam. And when I bent over, <laughs> I felt a breeze. <laughs> And my husband was with me, and he kind of dropped his head. <laughs> I was like, yeah, that's what I thought. <laughs> I didn't wear that dress again. But he loved me so much. But he didn't want to hold me back. He wanted me to help me and guide me and help me find the right way to be Sonia. And here we are 30-some years later. Amen. So, <clears throat> excuse me, I have a very dry throat today. <laughs> But God is the same way. He is jealous for you. He's not going to come down here and beat you in the head, tell you this, that, and the other. He's going to be a gentle, small, 
quiet voice that whispers. Are you sure about that? You know I love you. Is this the right way to do it? Is this the right choice to make? Let's, let's think about it. The next thing that God took me to was, <coughs> let me read what jealousy is. The definition is, is that passionate energy by which uh, he is provoked, stirred, and moved to take action against whatever, whoever stands in the way of his enjoyment of what he has, of what he loves and desires, which is you. That's the biblical trans, uh, definition of jealousy. He's protective and not possessive. Now, he's possessive where he'll go before you and make a way. But he's not going to possess you and keep you chained up and locked up and confined where that you can't be yourself. The next thing, and I was reading this and studying this, was God is a consuming fire. Deuteronomy 4, 24. Take heed unto yourselves, lest you forget the covenant of the Lord your God, which he made with you and made a graven image or the likeness of anything which the Lord thy God has forbidden thee. For the Lord thy God is a consuming fire. Even a jealous God. Consuming fire. Consuming fire. We talked about jealousy. And I, I love that there's like two types of fire that God has. It's a judgmental judgment fire. Solomon and Gomorrah, they experienced the judgment of God by fire. And then there's that refining fire that he uses with his children. Doesn't it sound a little less damaging <laughs> even though it is <laughs> it's refining it's that constant voice of way of molding you into the proper image with your submission of course you've got to be able to submit to it you've got to say lord you know here i am here is this issue lord i just want you to help me fix it i know it's going to hurt i know walking through the fire is going to cause the little things but like the three Hebrew children, he don't leave you in the fire. He goes right there with you. The king said, did we not throw three in? He said, I see a fourth one, and he's likened into the Son of Man, Son of God. He's not going to leave you in that consuming fire. It is for you. It's for purifying. It's for making you holy. It is not something to be feared. It is something to embrace. Consuming fire. Consuming fire. Let's go to uh, um, an example, Isaiah 6, 1 through 7. Isaiah had that wonderful experience in the temple. And he saw the glory of the Lord come down. And I'll get that up because I may not have given that to Kim. Isaiah 6. Yeah. So in the year that King Uzziah died, I saw also the Lord sitting upon the throne. Let me give you a little tidbit on that. King Uzziah, as I call him, he was a king that started out as a good king. But he got a little twisted. He got prideful. He got selfish and self-centered. And he got 
to where he was looking for just to fix things himself. He got all, he got the big head, as we call it. You got a little too prideful. But notice once the king died, and once you get rid of self, then he saw the Lord sitting upon a throne. High and lifted up, and, he, and his train filled the temple, and above it stood the seraphims, each with six wings. With twain he covered his face, and with twain he covered his feet, and with twain he did fly. That means two. He had two on his face, the seraphim did, two on his feet, and two to fly with. Always ready, not looking or going on his own, but waiting for the Lord's command. That's what we need to be. And one cried unto the other and said, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of the host. The whole earth is full of his glory. And the post of the doors moved at his voice that cried. And the house was filled with smoke. Then said I, Woe is me, for I am undone, because I am a man of unclean lips. And I dwell in the midst of people of unclean lips. You know what? When you get in God's presence, you can see what's wrong real quick, can't you? It don't take long. Just start reading the word. You can figure it out. The kids are going to class, so that's good. Praise the Lord. It's our babies. That's our future there. He said, For my eye has seen the king, the Lord of hosts, and then flew one of the seraphims unto me, having a live coal in his hand which he had taken with the tongues from off the altar. And he laid it upon my mouth and said, Lo, this hath touched thy lips, and thine iniquity is taken away, and thy sin purged. That's what the fire is all about, the consuming fire. It's, it's molding, it's changing, it's, it's making you into cleanliness, holiness as we call it. We have right standing with God, but we're still working a lot of things out, so don't fear the consuming fire. Don't feel it. Don't fear it. And I love how that this is a wonderful example of what the consuming fire does. Oh, was it painful? I'm sure. I'm sure. Even the seraphim didn't touch the live coal. He used tongs. He brought it over to him. Cleansed him. God's always doing that with us, especially when we read the Word, especially when we worship and praise and spend time with Him. He's always doing surgery, always doing surgery. I don't care how many years you've been walking this walk. There's something that God can help us with. Praise God. Until you die, you'll be doing this. So don't be discouraged by it. It's not something to be afraid of. It's something to embrace. But we are so... Blessed, we are the ones that have the Holy Spirit living within us. We have Jesus Christ who came and died and then rose again on the third day. We have a privilege that they didn't have then in the New Testament. We talked about it this morning. The, New, the Old Testament is just a foreshadowing of Jesus Christ. It talks about his life, his death, his resurrection, his burial. It talks about it all. And then the New Testament, it, it came life. It came real. So we have a God that loves us. A God that is jealous for us. 
a God that wants to help us be something better because, you know, you were born. He knew what he put in you when he sent you here. And you were born for such a time as this. You're not born in the wrong time. Mm -mm. No, God brought you here on this earth for this time because this people needed us. We need each other. So I want to talk about um, being joint heirs with Christ through Christ. And I'm, I'm going to get to the story of Jesus triumphant, but this is the way God led me into it, so I want to read it to you. So it says, John 14 and 23, it says, Anyone who loves me and will obey my teachings, my Father will love them, and we will come to them and make our home with them. With them. Our abode with them. That means he comes into you. He occupies your spirit your life, your body. John 14, 25 and 26, even when Jesus was leaving, he told the disciples, these things I've spoken to you, but being yet present with you, but the Comforter, which is the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he shall teach you in all things and bring all things to your remembrance. Whatsoever I have said unto you. The Comforter, I like how it says a Comforter. I don't know about you, but I need a lot of comforting. <laughs> I work in the medical field. When COVID hit, there was a lot of comforting that needed to be done. A lot of comforting. I'm thankful that I had the Holy Spirit that I could walk in there with a smile on my face without fear, although they couldn't see it, without fear, but my words and my actions spoke of a comforter that lived within. Sometimes that's all people need to see. There's something different about you. Well, let me tell you about Jesus. Let me tell you about a man who died for us. So that I could have this peace and peace in the worst times ever. In the darkest nights, I can have a light. I have someone who loves me and is always going before me and taking care of me. And he sees the beginning and the end. And even though I'm not perfect, he loves me. And he's always trying to help me be who I'm called to be. Always, always reaching and pursuing me. Oh, what kind of love is that? He loved us so much that he's in his son. And with the son came the promises. Romans 8, 16. It says, the spirit himself testifies with our spirit that we are God's children. That we are God's children. I don't have to doubt. The enemy likes to tell you who you are by telling you who you aren't. He's so fearful that you figure out, child of God, who you really are and the power and authority that you walk in through the name of Jesus that he can't keep you down. He'll tell you everything bad about yourself. I love Songs of Solomon 4. I read it several months ago. And it talks about how God sees you. He sees the Holy Spirit. He sees this helmet, the sword, the shield. He sees the beauty of you. And it keeps repeating how beautiful you are. The enemy don't like to say those words. He likes your body to be distorted by his thoughts and by the world's standards and by what people think you should be and what you shouldn't be. He's always gotten you chasing something. That amounts to nothing. 
when you got the word of God, you've got it all. He doesn't want you to know that. In Matthew 27 and 51, this is after Jesus had given up his life on the cross. The veil of the temple was rent in twain, in two, from the top to the bottom. And the earth did quake and the rocks rent. This is the Holy Spirit, the Spirit of God, no longer living in the physical temple of Jerusalem. He is now free to live in you and live in you. But there was Jesus who had to come, who had to endure, had to do it all perfectly and had to die, suffer and die, and then raise again on the third day with all power in his hand. So let's talk about Jesus' triumphant entry. And I always wondered why they call it triumphant entry. And all these years of being in the church, I never questioned it. What was so triumphant about it was it was the beginning of the end for the enemy. But it was the only time that you hear that he allowed praise to be given to him. Let's read the story. Actually, you can find this account in both, all four Gospels. (coughs) But I want to read Matthew 21, 1 through 17. And when they drew nigh unto Jerusalem and were come to Bethpage and to the mountain of Olives, then sent Jesus two disciples, saying unto them, Go into the village over against you, and straightway you shall find an ass tied and a coat with her. Loose them and bring them unto me. And if any man say aught to you, you should say, The Lord hath need of them, and straightway he will send them. They just went up to somebody's property, untied it, walked away with it. What faith was that? You know, back in the day, you know, cattle thieves were put to death by hanging. They wouldn't know better back then either. That's where the law probably came from. But he says, if anybody stops you, he's always preparing you. If you're listening, you're always prepared. He said, just tell him that the Lord had need of it. And he'll let you come. And it did happen that way. All this was done that it might be fulfilled, which was spoken by the prophet, saying, tell ye the daughters of Zion. Behold, thy king cometh unto thee, meek, and sitting upon an ass, and a coat the full of an ass, the full of an ass. Now that was uh, Hezekiah, or uh, Zechariah. That was prophesied back in Zechariah uh, 9 and 9. A lot of times what you find in the Old Testament is also in the New Testament because it was a fulfillment of all those things. It doesn't make it useless, but it was preparing the way. Rejoice greatly, O daughters of Zion. Shout, O daughters of Jerusalem. Behold, thy king cometh unto thee. He is just and having salvation, lowly and riding upon an ass and upon a coat, the full of an ass. It was fulfilled that day. Could you imagine if you had the knowledge of that and you're standing there and you're watching Jesus come in in that same manner? How you would feel? Your king. Your king is coming. I get excited when things, I see things happen. The Lord promised me I get so excited. I don't, could you imagine how joyous they were? They were thinking this king's coming in. He doesn't coming in like a regular king, but he's coming nonetheless according to the prophets. 
It says, And the disciples went and did as Jesus commanded and brought the ass and the coat and put on them their clothes. And they set him thereon. It says cloak in most translations. And a very great multitude, multitude spread their garments in the way. Others cut down branches from the trees and strawed them in the way. And the multitudes that went before and that followed cried, saying, Hosanna to the son of David. Bless is he that cometh in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest. And when he was come into Jerusalem and all the city was moved, saying, who is this? Wow, what was this big to do? And I knew nothing about it. And the multitudes said, this is Jesus, the prophet of Nazareth of Galilee. And he went straight into the temple of God. Prophet. They didn't even tag him as king. I, I suspect there were some there that didn't have a clue. They were just caught up in all that was going on. Have you caught yourself doing that? All the excitement. All the thrill. I don't know what it is, but here I am. What can I do? Be careful what you support. At least you be led away. So I, I think it's interesting that we, they recognized him as a king. And they give him this reception. But, you know, a king would have come in on a grand steed. He would have been dressed in royal robes. Had his guard with him. Had his people with him. But our Jesus came in lowly and meek. He had just his disciples. They, they were poor. They, they threw their cloaks down. It wasn't no white or red or purple that signified royalty. And they'd pull the branches off the trees. And they put some down on the ground. And then they waved the others. Hence why we call it Palm Sunday. God gave me an interesting revelation about that. He came as a servant. He came with the poor. There was no royalty that met him. But it was the only time that praise was allowed to give to him because he told one of the Pharisees, said something to him. He said, you know what? If the people hadn't cried out, the rocks would have. I don't ever want the rocks to cry out praise to my God. My Savior, knowing what he did for me and knowing how much I need him every day, this is why he's jealous for you. He sacrificed greatly for you. Greatly. But not just an earthly sacrifice. It was a spiritual sacrifice. He has power and authority that now belongs to you as heirs and joint heirs of Christ Jesus. I love that they called out and called, said, Hosanna. I never really knew what that meant until I looked it up. And it means, save us, we pray. Save us, we pray. They were looking for an earthly king to come and help them with the Roman people. They were being, um, they were being ruled by Rome. And they were looking for an earthly savior that was going to come and gather the forces together and go against the powers of Rome and set them free. But God's plan's always better, isn't it? It just didn't affect just the people at that time. Had he done that, would you think they would still be free today? 
Uh-uh. I doubt it. Hitler come in and took care of things too, didn't he? There'll be others. There have been others. But I love that their first clue should have been <laughs> he went to the temple. He went to his home. He's a spiritual Lord. He's a Lord and Savior of so much more than just the physical. And you know, so many of us are out here and we come to God because we're waving our leaves going, save us, we pray, save me. I, I made a bad decision. I, I'm in an awful jam. Save me, Lord. But God is looking for so much more than your palm leave today. He's looking for a praise that comes from here. A praise that comes from here. I praise you because that's who I am. He wants the praise from here. The Bible says, you know, you praise me with your lips, but your heart is so far from me. Are we like the people on the side of the road and we're looking for a fix for right now? When he has a fix for the lifetime and eternity. We're settling for the short term when the long-term plan is so much better. So much better. He was a spiritual savior. He went straight to the temple. And they still didn't figure it out. Because you know how I know that? A few days later, what were they crying? Crucify him. They were disappointed because they had done all this great thing and thought he was going to come to save them. And, and he's crucifying now. He's not going to do anything for me. I have no use for him. Oh, we treat God that way sometimes. We didn't get our way. Well, I'll just go and do what I want to do. <laughs> I'll just go be what I want to be. You're crucifying him again. God took me to the rivers of living water. Because we have the Holy Spirit that lives within us and the Trinity lives within us and guides and directs us. And here we are at John 7, 37 and 39. We have something that Old Testament didn't have. It says on the last day, that great day of the feast is one of the a temple feasts, Jesus stood and cried out and said, If anyone thirsts, let him come to me and drink. He who believes in me, and as the scripture has said, out of his heart will flow rivers of living water. Living water. That means I have something that not only sustains me, but it can sustain others. It can get them to the right place. I have no power in my hand to save you, but I can show you the one that helped me. I can give you the words that, that brought me forth. It says, but this he spoke concerning the Spirit, whom these, those believing in him would receive. For the Holy Spirit was not yet come, because Jesus was not yet glorified. He wasn't killed, crucified. He hadn't risen yet. He hasn't ascended to the Father. And that's when the Holy Spirit comes. So this is what you have within you. You have the Holy Spirit, which is a river of living water flowing from you. Ezekiel 47 was the scripture that I had been studying and, and looking at. And I couldn't quite get what God was telling to me. But I didn't give up. And, and I still 
Sometimes when he gives you stuff, you still pray about it. You're like, Lord, explain that to me. I told my husband at one point trying to write this service, I had laid a book down. I was like, okay, I just can't take any more right now. My brain just can't wrap around it. Let me sleep. Let me sleep a while. And at 1 o'clock, he woke me up again, and we pinned this service. Started pinning this sermon out today. But, I mean, it's, it's going to happen. Sometimes it's just so much that you just can't seem to wrap your head around. Don't be discouraged by it. Ask God for help. Take a little nap. But get up and start right back at it. Still keep talking to him. Keep asking him. And if you read this in the King James or the New King James, it calls this portion of this of the uh, chapter the healing waters and trees and that's so amazing and, and the theologians have very uh varied ideas about this some say that it has to do with revelations 22 the tree of life and the river of life in the new jerusalem some believe it has to do with christ which i'm that's the way I was, God showed it to me, so I'm just going to show it to you that way. It says, then he brought me back to the door of the temple. Now, Ezekiel is having a vision, and he's being shown the temple and some other things. But he brought me back to the door of the temple, and there was water flowing from under the threshold of the temple toward the east. For the front of the temple faced east, and the water was flowing from under the right side of the temple south south that way (laughs) of the altar and he brought me out by the way of the north gate and led me around on the outside to the outer gateway that faces the east and there was water running out on the right side so the water is coming from the temple and it flowed from if research is right through under the altar and it flowed out of the temple and out and when the man went out to the east with the line, he had a measure and something the line went with in his hand, he measured 1,000 cubics, and most translations say 1,750 feet. 1,750 feet. And he says, the water came up to my ankles. And again, he measured 1,000 and brought me through the waters, but this time it came up to my knees. And again, he measured 1,000 and brought me through the water, and it came up to my waist. And he measured 1,000, and it was a river that I could not cross, for the water was too deep. Water in which one must swim, a river that could not be crossed on feet, of course. And he said to him, me, son of man, have you seen this? Then he brought me and returned me back to the bank of the river. And, and I love that in my way, my revelation was he was so concentrated on the water and the deepness of because the deeper you go in the word, the deeper it gets. And then you're starting out as a baby Christian. It's just around your ankles. It's easy to maneuver. And you go a little deeper and now you're up to your knees in it. And that consuming fire is starting to work. And you go, okay, Lord, I'm going to press on a little further, and it's up to your waist. And now you're pushing and pressing. And the Word of God is so deep. The more you study it, the more you see it. It brings you deeper in relationship with Him. It's so awesome. There is this wonderful song that came out a long time ago, Take Me Deeper Into Waters. 
That's what the word is like. That's why a lot of people don't want to do it. They'll get out so far and they're like, woo, almost over my head. I better get back. Uh Uh-uh. We go forward. We keep going forward. But I love that he asked Ezekiel, he says, have you seen this? And to me, you can read the translations. They have different ideas of that. I think when Ezekiel was looking at the water, he missed what was on the side. He missed what was around him. So let's read. And said, he brought me back and returned me to the bank of the river. And when I returned there along the bank of the water, the river was very many trees on one side and the other. Then he said to me, this water flows toward the eastern region and goes down into the valley and enters in the sea. And when it reaches the sea, it, its waters are healed. The water that flows from the temple is healing. And it shall be that every living thing that moves, whatever, when that, wherever the river goes, will live. There will be very great multitudes of fish, but these waters go there. For they will be healed and everything will live wherever the river goes. I love it. He says, wherever the river goes, it's going to be healed. Well, the word of God, it sets you free, doesn't it? That's healing. That's that consuming fire working. Don't be afraid of it. Embrace it. Take the healing. I don't know about you, but I got still a lot of healing to do. I get up here every Sunday about it and talk and teach. But I'm telling you, I eat the word first. It's usually something I have to or I've lived through, or I'm trying to help myself through, we are doing this together. And it says, It shall be that fishermen will stand uh, from the in Gadai and in these two towns. They will be places for spreading their nets, and their fish will be of the same kind as the fish of the great sea, exceedingly many. But its swamps and marshes will not be healed. They will be given over to salt. Salty much? What's your attitude? (laughs) I can go from fresh water to salt real quick. (laughs) Uh, The Bible says fresh water and salty water, it never comes from the same fountain, does it? Mm -mm. The marshes and the swamps are stagnant water. That the water, healing water flowed in, but because it has no avenue to run, no one took it and run with it. There is no growth in the vegetation around it. It's stagnant. I've been in church a long time. I've seen some of those stagnant Christians. Heck, I've been one at one point. But there's hope. (laughs) There's hope. It says, along the banks of the river on this side and that will grow all kinds of trees used for fruit. And their leaves will not wither and their fruit will not fail. All kinds of trees. Look around us. We all kinds of trees. Different people, maybe different nationalities, different geological places we grew up, different experiences in life. Doesn't make it any greater or less, does it? We all just trees on the bank of the river. Doing what we're supposed to be doing, producing fruit. 
and bearing green leaves. It says they will bear fruit every month because their water flows from the sanctuary. And their fruit will be for food and their leaves for medicine. And this is where it gets kind of strange and this is my revelation. What God gave me. Leaves were always used, have always been used for healing, for medicinal purposes. We not only season our food with them, but they use them for healing. I grew up, I had two Cherokee great-grandmothers, and they believed in healing from the land. I wish I had some of their books that I would know some of the knowledge they had about what things would happen when my father would get sick. They'd go out to the land. My grandmother would pick whatever needed to be done and apply it accordingly to what she grew up in, what she knew, healing from the land. Medicinal purposes. There's so much that you can preach and teach from that. But if we're trees planted by the water, ooh, remember that one? We should be producing fruit. And why was it leaves are so important? Why, was, why did they even use leaves for that? It's because they had this wonderful thing. Uh, and they are used um, to, um, they have uh, the ability of regeneration. They were potent. And they have regeneration ability. In layman's term, in today's third graders, Photosynthesis. Do you remember it? I had to take another course. In my term, let me just explain it the simplest way that I could figure it out. It takes the sun, takes the carbon dioxide in the air, and it takes the water. And everything is drawn into the leaves. And food is produced from that. And clean air is produced from that. But without... Either one of those scenarios, it doesn't function properly. And the plant generally dies or is weakened. And the smallest insect can destroy it. So you know my brain. <laughs> Matthew 4 and 4 in the King James Version talks about where we need to be rooted But he answered and said, It is written, Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. That was Jesus talking. What are you feeding on? What are you feeding on? So the plant takes the water and absorbs it through its roots, up its trunk, and puts it into the leaves. And then the leaves take the carbon monoxide, Dinoxide, that, and that's poisonous to us in high quantities. But when you take a breath in and breathe out, that's what you're blowing out is carbon dioxide. But it takes that and pulls it into the leaves. So everything that's not good and useful, it brings in. And this process happens when it absorbs the sun, the light. Woo, the light. And it produces food for the plant which is almost like a sugary substance but it also gives off oxygen for us to breathe 
That's why it's so important that, that we need trees in this world. We need trees. Without the plants and the trees, then we don't have good, clean air to breathe. Oh, can you see God's revelation in that? By the river, hey tree, by the river. I'm rooted. What does it say? Let me get my scripture. Colossians 2, 6 and 7. As you therefore have received Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk in him, rooted and built up in him and established in faith. Established in faith. Rooted. What you rooted on? Are you by the river of life? The healing river? Taking it in? So to me, these are my roots. You know, my feet. What I go, what I do. How I behave. I'm taking in all the good stuff. I'm being obedient to God's promptings, to his will. And the son is Jesus. He's the light, although God is also the light. They're, they're twain. They're together. I'm the light, so I'm taking it in. And here's my leaves, the works of my hands. Psalms 128, 1 and 2 says, Blessed is everyone who fears the Lord, who walks in his way. When you eat the labor of your hands, you shall be happy, and it shall be well with you. You're a witness to him. The way you walk, the way you talk, the way you work with your hands. You're a witness to him. So, you know, the, the people of Jesus' day were waving the palm trees. And they thought they knew who he was. And they were giving him praise and glory. But two days later, they were crucifying him. Or three days later, they were crucifying him. Just a few more days. How do you use your leaves? Do you wave in praise to the Lord? Honor Him, glorify Him, not only with your lips, but with your heart. And, you know, that shows up in your everyday life. You read the Word, you study, you pray. Those are honoring God with your leaves, if you'll let me have that little analogy. With you producing good fruit, it produced good fruit every month. You know what? That's because what I put in, I can give to you. I have, let me share what God gave me. Eat this fruit. Eat the fruit. Here it is. Here's my fruit. It don't take long to figure out who's not with God. Their fruit looks a little different, don't it? If there's any at all. It's strange fruit. <laughs> the Bible talked about a couple of guys that had some strange fire in the temple. They didn't have the right fruit. <laughs> they died by fire. Are you producing fruit that others can use as food? It's all about serving Him and worshiping Him. And He's going to make the way and go before you. You know, in, in Exodus or Deuteronomy, he, Moses told him, says, You know what? They were getting ready to embark on to the Canaan and take the land that God had promised the forefathers. He said, I will go before you. I will be a consuming fire. And they will fall before your faces. 
That's a judgment fire. Judgment fire. And I've always said it, and I love what God said, Jesus said to Peter. He says, you know, I prayed for you, and when you come back, strengthen the brothers. That was fruit. <laughs> I've been through some stuff. I've walked through it. But God was for me. He prayed for me. Do you know that he prays about you? He's ever interceding with the Father for you. That he sits at the right hand for that purpose. You are never without what you need unless you refuse it. So my trees, let's read about it. Jeremiah 17, 7 through 8. And we quote this a lot. And we shout to this a lot. And it's good. It says, blessed is a man that trusteth in the Lord and whose hope the Lord is. Blessed is the man who trusteth in the Lord and whose hope the Lord is. I, you know, some days I can get one of those. Sometimes I can't get them both. Sometimes I look at the situation and I was like, God, I know that you can do this. I know that you will if it's your will. But God, I'm just struggling. I have no hope. It's just lip service. It's not heart services. I should be going, Lord, I know the situation looks bad. I know the storm is raging. But I see you. You're the light. You're the light. I'm just going to hope in you and all your magnificent power and all that you are and all that you brought me before. And I'm just going to walk it out according to your will. I'm not going to go over here and cry about it. Talk bad about it. Talk bad about them. <laughs> bad mouth this, bad mouth that. No, 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 Lord. I'm going to walk in hope and I'm going to shut my mouth and I'm going to walk and trust you and I'm going to do it with the right heart because I'm just not waving palm branches. I'm waving green leaves and fruit to bear. And it says, For he shall be as a tree planted by the waters. And that spreadeth out her roots by the river, and shall not see when heat comes. But her leaves shall be green, and shall not be careful in the, in the year of drought. Neither shall, uh, shall cease from yielding fruit. I think that's interesting. Spread out her roots. When you have a source in your life, you draw on it. You draw on it. Good or bad. Here's the river of life. It flows from this temple, this healing river that we talk about all day long, the word of God. Jesus, he was the word that came in the flesh for you and me. And then the roots got in there and they took what they needed. And when the heat came, they it didn't worry. When the drought came, they didn't worry because they had a source. And the leaves were green. And she kept bearing her fruit at the right time because she stayed connected to the proper source. Jesus rode in humble. He knew what was going to happen. He knew why he was there. He was, what, seven years old in the temple and, and got left behind? Well, he stayed behind. And when they did come back to get him so many days later, he said, Don't you know I have to be about my father's business? And mom and daddy's like, not right now. It ain't the time. Let's go. He knew. This was no surprise to him. This was from the beginning. This is the way it was going to be. 
from the foundations of the earth, it says in the book. He knew that he was going to be the ultimate sacrifice. The lamb. Because, you know, the blood of bulls and goats, the, the word said, was not sufficient to cover. It had to be the lamb that was sacrificed, Jesus. So I want to ask you today on Palm Sunday, evaluate your life. Are you just waving with the branches that you've taken from someone else's tree? Or is it coming from somewhere within? And it's your leaves that are waving in the wind. It's the wind, Lord. Here comes the storm again. I know that you haven't left me, but I'm just going to blow in these waters. I'm not going to blow in the wind. And I'm going to let the storm pass through. And I'm going to stay rooted and grounded in you. Because not only do I trust you, but I hope in you. Because you are the only hope that's true. Because you are love. You are peace. You are a shield and a buckler. You're the strong tower. And I'm just going to keep waving my branches. And I'm going to keep praising you, author and the finisher of my salvation. All the promises in the Bible are true. If you ever sit down and read them, you have protection. You have uh, a promise of he will keep you, keep you needs. He will, he will t- even to your seed, David said, I have never seen the righteous forsaken nor their seed begging bread. It extends to your family. Just keep soaking up the living water. Keep soaking up the living water. Keep walking and talking and reading and studying and talking to him. Prayer sometimes is just praying. But it should also be listening. There's many times I don't speak. I just sit down and listen. What is it today you want to tell me, Lord? Sometimes it's good stuff. Sometimes it's, let's talk about your day, Sonia. (laughs) It's that consuming fire. It's okay. I know he reprimands me because he loves me. We talked about that a couple weeks ago. He loves me because I am his own. And he is jealous for me. He wants you to come to him not out of Need and necessity, even though he will be there when you do. But he wants you to want him. Just like he wants you. My husband was so wise beyond his years. He never persecuted me for anything that I did or said. There was one time I come in and my poor child's hair had been zinged down to his scalp because somebody decided to give him a haircut without asking. And you know, I told you I had anger issues. My husband took one look at my face, and he went and sat down. He's like, ain't no way I'm going to stop that. (laughs) I love that man. (laughs) He's been through so much (laughs) with me, but he's so good. He was what I needed in my life. I've been with him since I was a teenager. Imagine where my life would have been if I hadn't had that solid rock in my life. And that's what Jesus wants to be. That's what God desires to be. He is jealous for you.
praise him and worship him. Not just with your lips. Wave the leaves. The works of your hands. The places you go. Be it to honor him and all things that you do. Praise and worship with your mouth is wonderful. It's great. But he looks at the heart. He said, man looks on the outside, but I look inside. He desires you. He just wants you to desire him the same way. The same way.